2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 6. Y'all ready for the word? I didn't mean to have such a confrontational series. This let the church be the church has been like a UFC. It's been like that bare knuckles fighting. Y'all seen that? Jesus, that's the new thing that I, I didn't mean for this series to be so uh, in your face, but I was telling, uh, I was talking to Sean about it, Sean Cannell this morning. I said, sometimes you don't know the personality of a series till you get on stage and you start preaching it. And it's like God takes it places. And um, uh, I think my wife today called me, was it sassy? She goes, you're a little sassy on this series. I don't mean to be. Uh, but, I, but I do feel like God is leveling us up. And I, amen. And I feel like uh, he's doing something in us because I really do believe God wants to do something through us. And so um, uh, I promise after Easter, I'm going into a really encouraging series on how to hear the voice of God. And it's just going to make us warm and fuzzy. And just, we're just going to hear the Holy Spirit. It's going to be beautiful. But I got one more in me. All right, all right. <laughs> But when they arrived at the threshing floor, everybody say threshing floor. When they arrived at the threshing floor, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah. God struck him dead because of this. Wow, welcome to church. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. Notice that David's mad because God was mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how many times do we get frustrated because we don't like how God does what he does, you know? But So we named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to break out or burst out against Uzzah or literally to break Uzzah. David was now afraid of the Lord and he said, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David into Jerusalem. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Now, if you remember back to the Battleborn series, Goliath was from Gath. And so Obed-Edom is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And he's from one of David's greatest enemies' uh, hometown. Okay, this is, this is kin to Goliath. So David sending the ark to Obed-Edom was not a sign of... Um, him liking him. This was, this was a sign of judgment. But the ark of the Lord remained in Obed-Edom's house for three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, the Lord's blessing Obed-Edom. In other words, the Lord loves your enemies. <laughs> you know, the Lord loves your enemies, right? <laughs> okay. God even loves your ex. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. One more passage, John 4, 23. But the time is coming indeed is here right now. Everyone say right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. As God does have a way that he wants to be worshiped. One more time, 2 Samuel 6, 10, David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Excuse my voice. I've, act, I've been recording all week. Uh, city Light Worship is releasing their first EP this summer. 
And I've been singing all week, and uh, I didn't mean to be all raspy tonight, but praise the Lord, everybody. It's my bishop voice. Hallelujah. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed Edom. <laughs> I want to make a comment about my voice. Like, I want to know if Shan likes it, but. <laughs> What do you think? You're going red. You're getting red, girl. Instead, instead, instead he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. I want to preach from this subject. Now, I should be preaching from let the church worship because I've done let the church pray, let the church grow, let the church worship. Uh, so I'm going to preach about worship, but I, I like this topic better. The ark found me. The ark found me. Can you look at two people, just two? And tell them the ark found me. The ark found me. The ark found me. You know what? Be friendly. Find one more person. One more. Tell them. Tell them the ark found me too. The ark found me. <laughs> Father, open our hearts now as we lean into your word. Thank you for a word from heaven that is changing us from the inside out. It's changing our church. And more importantly, it's changing us personally. Speak, Lord. And I pray that even as I preach, you would descend on this room like a, like a blanket covering us with your presence, letting us know that you're here, that you're near, and that you have not forgotten about us. Meet us in these moments we have together. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Thank you, brother. David is an amazing character in scripture, probably outside of Jesus Christ. He would be the most popular uh, person in the Bible. I've been preaching on him a lot this year, kind of accidentally, but uh, David is interesting because before David ever led the people of Israel, before David ever led his father's sheep in the hills of Bethlehem, before his great victories over uh, Goliath before his great victories over his enemies or his great exploits before his amazing leadership before any of that before David ever went public before David ever had a public victory before David's name was ever known before before the young teenagers of Israel would sing David has slayed his ten thousands before David ever ascended to the throne David had personal victory before he ever had public victory. It is so important that you have personal private victory before God ever takes you public. Because if you go public too quick, the very thing that God wants to bless you with will end up being the weight that crushes you. Uh, God forbid you get too much too soon because your gift can get you places that your character cannot sustain you. And so God had to teach David things privately before David could ever go publicly. Uh, not, not, and, and by the way, it's not that you won't go there without private victory. It's that you'll have a public victory and you still won't be happy. <laughs> and you still won't like it. And God will answer all your prayers and you still won't be satisfied. Because until your private victory and your public persona touch there will always be a tension 
that leads to pain, that leads to regret, that leads to condemnation, that leads to guilt. And, and people will love you. People will praise you. But you'll go home at night and have to look in the mirror and you'll hate yourself because you know that isn't really you. They love your gift, but if they really knew you... They might not think the same way. And so, so much of our journey is getting our private life to match up with our public life because that's really where joy is. You are most happy. You are happiest. You, you have the most joy when your private life and your public life get close. And the closer you can get it, the happier you will be. And the further they are apart, the more depressed you're going to be. Because what God wants to do through your life and the great things that he wants to put upon your life, he first wants to do it in you. And, I, and, and so I want to tell it to you like this. Who you are is so much more important than what you do. We got a lot of human doings and very few human beings. We got a lot of people that have found value in what they do. They found value in performance. They found value in saying the right things, acting the right way, uh, putting up an image. And so we find our value in, in how we look or in the brand of shoes we wear or how much is in our account or what zip code we live in or in the car we drive. And we keep doing things, but we still have not become the person that God has called us to become. And there is a, there is a pain in that because what God is calling you to be is so much more special than anything you will do. And anytime your doing affects your being instead of your being affect your doing... I'm not trying to be Oprah right now, but I feel like I'm helping somebody because the, the, if you can ever just be a child of God and be happy and learn to grab a guitar and go to the hills of Bethlehem and just worship your maker and love your God and know that you are loved by God, then any doing that happens is just icing on the cake, but it is not your substance. It's just a blessing. So David was God's chosen king. The Bible actually says this in Acts 13, that he was a man after God's own heart, that God found him. God found him. I found a man after my own heart because God will always find a worshiper because the Father is seeking worshipers. I said it last week, but I want to remind you that when you pray, you go to God. But when you worship, God comes to you. That's why the Bible would say in Psalm 50, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise him in the firmament. What does that mean? That means praise him outside. Praise him in the temple. That means praise him on the inside. What the heck is David talking about? He's saying anywhere you praise, God will find you. You can, you can praise him in your bedroom. You can praise him in a closet. You can praise him in the car. You can praise him on your way to work. And anywhere you worship, it becomes sacred space. The moment you start singing, your car becomes sacred. Your house becomes holy. Your, your atmosphere changes into literally a place of worship. Why? Because when you worship God, God comes to you and God found this little teenage boy with a heart after him. And so before David ever had success in his kingdom, before David ever experienced the success of his exploits, he was already successful because he knew 
who he was. And like Jacob, he learned the joy of wrestling with God. And he learned the joy of God holding on to him. It was in the pain of being rejected by his father. It was in the pain of being hated by his brothers that David pressed in to the presence of God. See, don't get it twisted. Worship is not just for perfect people. (laughs) And don't ever forget that pain will always drive you to something beyond you. Okay, I just said a lot. Pain will always drive you to something beyond you. For some of you in this room, it's a substance. For others of you, it's relationships. You go from person to person to person to person. For others of you, it's jobs. You, you go from place to place. For, for, for others of you, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, well, if I can just reach this financial strata, then I'll be. And what you're missing is, is that the pain is actually an indicator that you need something beyond you, that something is going on on the inside, and you need something greater than creation. You actually need your creator. And so whenever you're in worship and you see people going crazy, like you see Bree up here, you see Weston up here, they're just going for it. They're going after God. And, and you know, you see Michelle. Michelle and Bree and, you know, everybody, Angelo, everybody up here. And you go, man, these people really love Jesus. They're really going after God. These people must have a perfect life. These people must be like super wealthy. These people must just have like perfect marriages. They must come from perfect families. They just must have perfect children. I mean, everything must be going right for them because look how they worship God. They must have so much to be grateful for. I mean, my God, they just must be up there counting their blessings. And what you don't know is that a lot of them, a lot of times they're actually going through hell and yet they show up on a Sunday and they start worshiping you'll you'll see someone on your row and you'll look down and they're laughing they're crying they're cheering they're jumping they're dancing they're spinning they're kneeling they're laying on the floor I mean they're going for it all just during one chorus and you're going wow they must just be super happy no 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 it's usually not that everything is going well it's usually that they're in hell but they know that if they stop singing they're gonna die so they gotta keep waving and clapping and shouting and spinning and Never judge someone's breakthrough because you have no idea what they've been through and you have no idea what they're going through. And it's not that they're singing because they're perfect and it's not because they're, they're singing because they're in a perfect circumstance. Usually it's the contrary. Usually they got so much going on that they know if I stop singing, the devil's going to take me out. And so they've learned how to clap through it, shout through it, dance through it, play through it, celebrate through it, sing through it, worship through it, praise through it. And David learned that he was going to have to find his joy and his identity in worship. All worship is, is people processing pain correctly. That's all worship is. It's just processing it correctly. (laughs) So that's why David would say in Psalm 145, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised because my worship is directly connected to my revelation of God and my worship has nothing to do with circumstance. He did not say great is my circumstance. He did not say great is my life. He said great is the Lord. Because I don't need anything around me to be going for me in order to worship. 
because I have a victory on the inside of me that is dictating my worship. So my circumstance does not define my worship. My worship will eventually define my circumstance. That's why worship is so powerful. That's why, that's why you really should be on time for church, not, not for any other reason than it's a moment for you to heal. Huh. It's a moment for God to draw near. It's a moment to let that, I mean, I thank God for a loud worship team. I thank God for these loud speakers because it can just let you sometimes just freak out and shout and clap and just ah, make a joyful noise to the Lord without anybody judging you because that I mean it's like because sometimes you just got to sing your way through clap your way through shout your way through and that's why worship is so important because it's in worship that God finds you and and I've and I've learned this that God likes worshipers he likes worshipers now he loves everybody but he likes worshipers how many know there's people you love because you're a Christian amen but then there's people you like because they're cool amen <laughs> God likes worshipers. God likes worshipers and God seeks worshipers and God seeks the company of worshipers. God is looking for worshipers and God finds worshipers because worshipers have what I call a strong relational intelligence. They understand levels. It's like when I get around pastors who have really big churches, I don't walk in there and talk about how awesome I am. I don't ever do that, but I mean, especially around them. I don't go in there and they'll, they'll ask, what'd you preach Sunday? I go, it doesn't matter. What'd you preach Sunday? Because I got a high relational intelligence. When I, when, I, when I get around businessmen who have done this for a really long time and they've, they've run businesses for a really long time, I just ask questions. Because I, I have a high relational intelligence. I know when to ask questions. I know when to listen. And so I get around certain pastors. I go, how do you, how do you love Jesus? How are you still preaching 30 years later? How are you, how are you still in love with people? How, how have you and your wife made it? Have you, I mean, I just start asking questions because, because I understand that, you know, in those situations, I'm, I really don't have a lot to say yet. And so I just learned from them. And, and God likes worshipers because re worshipers have a high relational intelligence. They, they understand two things. They understand that he's God. And they understand they're not. <laughs> so God, I know who you are and I, and I know who I am. And I'm not you. <laughs> and I'm really grateful you're not me. And so, and God likes that because he, because, because in, in, when you understand that God says, okay, now I can get involved because you're not trying to do stuff for me. You're not trying to make me do stuff for you that I don't do. You understand that there's levels to this. And so God can always work with a worshiper because a worshiper understands who God is. So God enjoys the company of those who worship him because they understand why they were created. Isaiah 43, 21, the people who I have formed for myself that I might declare my praise. Did you, did you see that? That they might declare my praise. God says the whole reason you are breathing is to worship. You were created to worship. You were formed to worship. God literally created a people to worship him, to praise him. And every time you worship, you are doing the very thing you were created to do. 
You were not created to complain. You were not created to, 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 to just, you know, gripe and, and just talk about how bad things are. You were created to express praise unto your God. And every time you worship God, you fall right into your calling. Every time you praise the Lord, you begin to do the very thing you are on this earth to do. Every time you worship, God is attracted to the worshiper because you in a moment, begin to walk in your assignment. Clarity is revealed. Hearts are healed. Things begin to change in the spirit because you actually are doing the very thing you were created to do. And God found David because David was a worshiper. But David, though he started so strong, his heart began to wander. He started as this crazy, on-fire teenager that just loved his God, Yahweh. But the presence of God became common to David. How many know the presence of God can become common to us? How many know any good thing in your life can become common to you? I mean, anything from, from, a, from a car to a relationship. I mean, whatever it is, including your relationship with God, it can become common to you. We can become like that church in the book of Revelation. We're just lukewarm. We're, we're not hot. We're not cold. We're just, yeah. oh boy, I never want that kind of worship. I never want gray worship. I never want uh, worship. I never want cute worship. I never want, it's not terrible, but it's not awesome. It's just kind of cute. I never want that kind of worship. I never want to be that kind of person. And I never want God to become common to me. But God became common to David. And, and, and here's how I know God started to become common to David. Because David saw the ark. We're about to get to our text. David saw the ark of the covenant as like a super weapon. As a military leader. He, they, they realized that Anytime the ark was there at battle, they had the victory. So much so, and here's how I know it became common, that the enemy came in and stole the ark from them while they were asleep. Why weren't they protecting the ark? Why weren't they guarding the ark? Why weren't there soldiers around the ark? Because it just became a thing. It became no more valuable than a spear or a sword or a bow and arrow. And you better protect anything that is valuable. And you have to protect anything God has put in your life of value. You have to protect your marriage. You have to protect your integrity. You have to protect your purity. You can't get casual about your attitude. You can't get casual about honor. You can't get casual about generosity. You can't get casual about service. You can't get casual, casual about anything that is valuable to God. Because the moment you become casual to it, the enemy can sneak in and take it. So David wakes up and the ark's gone. And his enemy took the ark, not because they wanted God. They wanted what God did through the ark. They wanted the blessing of God on them. So they went and they put it in their temple. Now that's a whole other story that's awesome where they put it in the temple of Dagon. They wake up the next morning and the, and the, the idol fell over. And I'll preach on that this summer. But that's a, that's a really cool story too. But, but here's, here's what's amazing. That the enemy did not want... God. They just wanted what God could do for them. God forbid we ever treat God as simply just a weapon in our arsenal. 
God forbid we treat him like a genie in a bottle. God forbid we just treat God as a means to an end. Like I need God right now. I need God more than I've ever needed God. But I think y'all missed what I just said. I didn't just say I need what God can do for me. I need God. (sighs) Never separate God's blessing from God. Because the very thing that God will give you to bless you will end up crushing you when you separate it from who he is. God's blessing will give you a house, but only God can give you a home. God's blessing will find you a spouse, but only God can change your heart to love that spouse like Christ loves the church. God's blessing will put your kids through college, but only a relationship with God can help you to raise those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. God's blessing can grow this church, but only God in my heart and in my soul can make me a shepherd after his own heart that loves you. Never separate what God can do for you from a relationship with God. God became common to David. God forbid God becomes common to us. God forbid God just becomes a 911 emergency number that we call whenever we're in trouble. So I never want to separate it. I I never want God to just be something that I call on when I need victory. I want to know God. I want to know the joy of a face-to-face relationship with God. I I want to be known by God and I want to know God. And here's how I know that David had gone to a point where God was no longer the first place in his heart. Here's how I know it. Because not only did the enemy, was the enemy allowed to steal the ark, but then David went, he got the ark back. But here's what's amazing. When he goes to grab the ark back from the enemy, I can only imagine one of his assistants goes, oh, uh, king, with all due respect, we, we need to call the Levites because we need to put the ark on the shoulders of the Levites. And David said, now we're in our text. No, no, no. Just put the ark on these oxen and take it home. Here's how I know David became casual with God. He put the presence of God on things instead of on the people. The presence of God was not supposed to go on oxen. According to the book of Leviticus, the presence of God was supposed to be carried by the priest. I don't know if you know who you are, but you're a priest. The Bible says you're a chosen generation. The Bible says you're a royal priesthood. The Bible says you're a kingdom of priests under your God. That the presence of God is not supposed to go on stuff. The presence of God goes on the people. That's why this this building isn't anointed. You're anointed. This building is concrete and carpet until the people of God walk into it. There's no anointing on these speakers. There's There's no anointing on these lights. There's no anointing on this microphone, but there is anointing on you. There's no anointing on your car or on your house. There's only anointing on you. And the moment you try to put God on stuff, David put God on an oxen. And the moment you limit God to what God can do for you and the moment you limit God to the kind of car you drive or the brand of clothing you wear or an amount of money in your bank account and you just say, that's God. Friend, you have traded God for an idol. You have traded a God dream for the American dream. And and here's the problem. You're missing out on the joy of God coming on you. 
and you've replaced it with God coming on your stuff. But God does not dwell on stuff. He only dwells on his people. Can I remind you of Exodus 25 eight that says, build me a sanctuary where I can dwell with my people? God wants to sit on you. God wants to come upon you. God wants to get on your shoulders. It was the men that were supposed to carry the presence of God. Not an oxen. Put no, we put no faith in any of this. Only in what God can do through men and women who have surrendered their life to the presence of the Holy Spirit. So they put it on the oxen. They put it on the oxen. And the Bible says they went to the threshing floor. Yeah. What is the threshing floor? The, flesh, the threshing floor, excuse me, is a hard place. It was a big piece of stone. And they would take the harvest, they would take the wheat, and they would hit it against, and it would separate the wheat from the chaff. It's only in a challenge that you find out if God's really on you or if he's just on stuff. Because if the men would have been carrying it, on the hard place. They wouldn't have tripped and they wouldn't have slipped. But because it was upon the oxen and the way their feet are, they lost grip on the stone. And whenever you're going through a trial, whenever you're going through a painful moment, whenever you're going through a storm, you, you will find out very quickly where you're at with God. Because if you hit a hard place and God's on you, you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because his rod, can you put that ark up? Because his rod and his staff, they comfort you. And so God's on you even in a trial. God's on you even in a hard place. God's on you even on a threshing floor. And threshing floors come because threshing floors separate. And the Bible said that as the oxen slipped, Uzzah, tried to stabilize the ark as if God needs his help. Uzzah is a Hebrew word that means strength. God says, I don't need your strength. That's why the New Testament says your wisdom is foolishness to me. And my weakness is strength to you. God on his worst day is stronger than you on your best day. God said, don't you try to bring your strength around me. Don't try to bring your resume to me. I am unimpressed. Have you seen the sun, the moon, the stars? Have you seen the galaxies? Have you seen that new black hole they just found? Yeah, I made that. I'm bad to the bone. Don't you dare come up to me with your strength, trying to steady me, trying to help me. I don't need strength. I need weakness. I don't need strength. I need weakness. I don't need your strength. I need your weakness because God said my strength is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. Don't show up to me with a resume. May show up to me on your face in worship. That's who I use. I don't use proud people, haughty people. I don't use people that say they have it all together. I don't use people that can tell God 10 reasons that he should bless them. No, I use people that will fall on their face and say, God, you are God. I am not. But if you could, would you please help me? Because I know I'm nothing without you. I never go into that green room on a Sunday and tell God how awesome today's going to be. 
I go into that green room. I fall on my face every Sunday morning and I go, God, this is really going to suck without you. So fall on the worship and fall on the people and fall on the preacher. And it was supposed to be on the people because whenever that heavy gold-plated art got on, it was hundreds and hundreds of pounds. When that heavy gold-plated art got on the men of God, it would affect how they walked. I put it like this, God's presence changes my lean. I start leaning different. I used to lean towards pride, but now I'm leaning towards humility. I used to lean towards having it all together, but now I'm leaning towards falling on my face. I used to lean towards violence, but now I'm leaning towards humility. I used to lean towards just cussing anybody out on the road, but now I'm leaning towards, you know what, God, they're probably having a bad day. I'm going to let it go. I used to lean towards screaming at my spouse for every little thing, but now I'm leaning towards honor and humility and lifting up. I used to yell at my children for nothing, but now I'm learning to lean and hold my babies and just say, I know you're having a hard day. I love you. I'm going to walk with you. I used to lean towards, I'm going to take as much money, take as much money. But now I'm leaning towards generosity because when God really gets on you, God will change your lean. God will change how you talk. God will change how you walk. You start carrying more weight. You start, you start breathing different. You start talking different. You got to use less words because there's more of a strain on you. Your lean is different. Your talk is different. Your walk is different. You start feeling things in different ways. God, sit on me because I need your presence to change how I lean. Anybody want God to come upon you? Anybody want God to change how you think, how you talk, how you walk, how you act, how you love, how you serve? God, I'm tired of doing this my own way. I'm trying, I'm tired of controlling you and studying you and telling you how do you have to do it. God, get on me and change how I talk, how I walk, how I act, how I love, how I serve. And if God's not changing you, it's because you put God on your stuff instead of you. I just don't feel convicted about that. It's probably because you put God on your stuff instead of you. But the moment he gets on you, the moment he descends on you and he lands on you and you feel the weight of the ark it changes everything about you and because you're leaning into the ark even if you hit a hard place it's actually the weight that stabilizes you oh and don't forget that the ark could not be carried by one man it took many people, and that's why we need each other, because when you're going through hell, when you hit a threshing floor, when you hit a hard place, you're going to have a brother or sister on the other side of the ark, and you're going to have a brother or sister in front of you or behind you, stabilizing you, so it's no longer really even your weight, it's just the weight of the people. Have you ever, I don't know, maybe you guys especially, have you ever had to like pick up a couch with like three or four of your bros, and you go to pick it up, and you're, ah, and then you realize they're doing all the heavy lifting? And it's like, they're carrying all this weight, but I'm here. So I'm like, ah, yeah, this is really hard, right? But in reality, they're doing it all. When you, when you get God on you, 
and you start carrying the presence of God in church, it's not so bad. The, the load isn't that heavy. I can do this because it was never meant to destroy you. It was meant to bless you. But God forbid we use the ark as just a means to an end instead of it being the end. I know this is a heavy message and you go, but Javen, I would never do that. I, I've never seen the ark of the covenant. Yeah, but the Old Testament is the New Testament hidden. It's the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So I know that, I know that the ark for me as a New Testament believer is no longer the ark. What is the ark? The ark represents the very person of Jesus. That wooden box, his humanity covered in gold, his deity the Ten Commandments, he's full of truth, John 1. Aaron's rod, he's full of grace. The manna, he is the living word. The mercy seat, he is the finished work. The cherubim bowing down, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The ark is an Old Testament picture of our Messiah. And don't you ever use the name of Jesus as a magical spell or an abracadabra to get you out of trouble. The name of Jesus is holy and sacred. And you don't just use it whenever you need it. You treat it with respect and worship and honor. And Jesus is not just the means to an end. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the end. What you, what you need is not just going to come through me. What you need is me. Well, marriage is getting tough. I guess I need Jesus. No, 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 no. He is humility. I need a financial breakthrough. I guess I need to call on Jesus. He is prosperity. Well, I got a tough report from the doctor. I guess I need to call on Jesus. He is healing. He's not a means to an end. He's the omega. He's it. Don't, don't get casual with the ark. Don't get casual with the name that is above every other name, the most beautiful name, the glorious name of Jesus. So David gets angry because Uzzah's died. And he said, I can't have this God box in my city. Where can we put it? Whose house is that? And they said, well, sir, that's, uh, that's Obed-Edom, but he's, he's from Gath. He's, he's a Gentile. We don't, we don't want to put it there. And David went, oh, he's a Gentile. Excellent. He's from Gath. Excellent. Put it over there. That wasn't a sign of blessing. It was prejudice. It was racism. <laughs> David, David hated the Gittites. So he's thinking if God did that to one of his covenant people, Uzzah, what's he going to do to Obed-Edom? Let's go put it in his house for now. Okay, because David was saved, but not really. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was saved, but he was hood. And he had some heart issues. And he said, go put it in Obed-Edom's house. And so, Obed-Edom opens the door. Yeah, can I help you guys? 
Yeah, we got this box we need to put in your house for a, for a little while. How long? We don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what do I do? Uh, if we were you, we just wouldn't touch it. <laughs> oh, okay. Puts it in Obed's house. <laughs> and the ark found Obed. Obed is a Hebrew word. Obed means worshiper. Because God will always find a worshiper. Because the Father's seeking worshipers. And if he can't get it from his covenant man, David, he will find it from an uncircumcised get tight and he will bless him. Oh, you need New Testament, don't you? That's why, that's why in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who was not a believer in Jesus, has a visitation from an angel and the angel says, your gifts have come up as a memorial before the Lord. What were his gifts? Worship. You've been worshiping God and you didn't know you were worshiping Jesus. And now Jesus is going to come and he's going to save you and your whole family. And Peter goes and preaches the gospel halfway through the message. He couldn't even get to the altar call. The Bible says the Holy Ghost fell and everyone got saved. And they all went and got water baptized. And they weren't even God's covenant people. That's why we support a missionary right now in the 1040 window. And we, I mean, you and me, our tithe, we sow thousands of dollars into the 1040 window. What is that? It is the area in the world with the highest density of population. Population. It's the highest Muslim and it's the lowest Christian. It's all there through the Middle East and Northern Africa. And we're sending missionaries right now who are preaching and planting churches and, and smuggling in Bibles and reaching those people with the gospel. And here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. I just want you to know what's happening because it's, it's, it's your finances that are going there. Missionaries are going in. And as they start preaching the gospel, the Muslims stop them and go, oh, you're, you're, you're talking about the man in white. You're talking about that man we've been dreaming about that's been hanging on the tree. Oh, you're, you're the messengers that he said were going to be coming. And they're getting saved and they're receiving Jesus. Why? Because God will always find his worshipers. And if America don't want to worship God, God will find worshipers who are praying five times a day and are, and are crying out to a God that they don't know and they don't realize that there is a man named Jesus who died and bled and rose again for them. And so when the missionaries go, they've already been prepared because God will always find worshipers. God finds Obed-Edom. And now we miss this detail in the text, but there's a first century historian. His name is Josephus. And Josephus is a brilliant historian. He wrote a lot about the life and the message of Jesus, though he was a Jew. And Josephus, a Jewish historian from the first century, writes about Obed-Edom. And here's what he says. He says that the night, he says that the night that the ark was dropped off, he went to bed. And Josephus tells us that Obed-Edom woke up in the middle of the night to music. He heard music playing. He said, what is that? 
And he looked out his bedroom door and there was a glow coming from the living room. So he lit his candle and he walks out through the living room. And Josephus tells us that Obed-Edom heard music coming from the box. And he realized that there was a mist, a glow in the room. So he blew out his candle and there was a glow beaming in the room, but he couldn't find the source of light. It was just, it was like music was coming from everywhere. Light was coming from everywhere. And Josephus tells us that two times a day, Obed-Edom would sneak out of his room and just stare at the And he would hear things from the box. And he would feel God on the box. And he would listen to the box. I just wonder what would happen if we spent a little more time staring at the box. His humanity, his deity. His grace and His truth. What if we stopped staring at that little black box that you hold in your hand so much and we started staring at the God box a little bit more? And he was mesmerized by the box, but then it got really crazy a few days later. Mrs. Obed-Edom called and said, baby, get out here quick. And Obed-Edom ran out. And Josephus tells us that Mrs. Obed-Edom said, look at these tomatoes. She grabs this giant tomato. She goes, OMG. And she drops it. And when she drops it, Obed-Edom looked at Mrs. Obed-Edom, who had had about eight children, and everything was in its rightful place and he said baby and she said well look at you and Obed-Edom's keg went away and his six pack came back and he's oh my god and she goes baby look, look at these grapes look at these look at this asparagus look at these apples oh my gosh and then they bit into their beef and their beef was more tender and the mares just kept producing milk and the children were acting right and and we see verse 11 that the ark of the Lord was Obed-Edom's house and God blessed everything in his house Though you can separate blessing from God, you can never separate God from his blessing. Interesting word there, and God blessed him, and conjunction. Used to connect words of the same part of speech, clauses or sentences that are to be taken jointly. Example in your Webster's Dictionary, bread and butter. Holy Ghost Dictionary, God and blessing. You can't separate it. 
just don't chase it chase God and you'll be blessed by accident <laughs> some of y'all begging God to bless you and God's going I would just love a conversation I can handle your money I can handle your marriage. I can handle your stress. I can handle your anxiety. I would just love for you to hear my voice again. Why don't you just stare at the box? Huh. Wow. I've been in a series from the book of Acts, so I got to take you to Acts really quick. Acts 15, 16, afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those who were called to be mine. See, this is an amazing, this is a whole sermon in itself, but basically there was a weird moment in David's kingdom where David literally just built a tent, put the box in the middle of the tent, and anyone could go, could go into the tent and worship God around the box. It was this weird moment in history because it broke, it literally broke the law. But it was a prophetic picture because anybody could go in and worship, even Gentiles. It was a prophetic picture of the New Testament church that would be filled with Jews and Gentiles. So when the Gentiles start getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, the, the apostles are freaking out. They're going, but they haven't even been circumcised. They're not even following the law. They don't even, and, and they go, oh, but there was a prophecy that the tent would be rebuilt. And that's why we're worshiping Jesus today because we're in the tent that's been rebuilt. And Obed-Edom was a prototype that even if you come from the wrong family, even if you're not from the right covenant at first, even if you're not part of the in crowd, even if, even if you feel completely unqualified, God says there's a place for you around the box. So the old gospel writer would sing, there's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you, though millions have come. There's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. This worship is not for perfect people. It's just for weak people who know that they need a place around the God box. His name is Jesus. Well, for three months, God's blessing pours out on Obed-Edom. David's assistant runs into the temple courts and he says, Sir, um, <clears throat> uh, I don't really know how to explain this, but um, you know Obed-Edom? Yeah, is he dead? No, he blessed. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, look at these tomatoes. And David says, I gotta get the box. city 
So he runs back to Obed's Edom house. Now we don't have time to read it. You could read it later. Uh, he came. He came repping some Levites. Amen. He didn't bring no oxen this time. He, he he did it God's way. Amen. He said, "Okay, I learned the first time." And the priests come, and they carry the presents back to the city with what the Bible says great rejoicing. And every six steps, they would stop. And they would worship God on the seventh step and then they would go again. And that's a whole sermon in itself. I don't have time. I'll preach it later. It's only 719. Let me just take you till 1 a.m. Let me get let me tell you about that revelation. No, 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 but oh, but there is something about stopping on the seventh. There is something about giving God the seventh day. There is something about taking a moment to worship God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I can't go there. I can't go there right now. But there is something there. But I just wonder, is there anyone maybe tonight who would just say, let me have the team come up, who would say, I'd like the box back in my house. I don't want to get cold. I don't want to get complacent. I don't want to get casual. Holy Spirit, get on my shoulders again. Fall on me. You know, that's a Bible phrase. Acts chapter 10 says, the Holy Spirit fell on the people. But here's what's amazing about that word fall, Frank. I almost called you Pastor Frank. I think that's prophetic. Pastor Frank, is that that word fall, when the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius' family, it's the same word as the father falling on the prodigal son. So the Holy Ghost don't zap you. The Holy Ghost falls on you. And he embraces you. And he holds you. I want, I want, I want that in my house like never before. Anybody else? I want everyone to stand to your feet. We're going to end this worship sermon worshiping. So no one's dismissed unless it's an absolute emergency. I want you to stay put. I want us to pray together. Would you lift your hands? Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit. my lean <laughs> lead me guide me change me find me as I worship you now, some of you have never done this before but just with your hands raised just come on Ben give me, give me something right here just with your hands raised just tell the Lord I worship you I worship you Lord I honor you praise you, Lord. I give you glory. I give you honor. I give you praise, all dominion. 
give you everything. I give you the fruit of my lips. I give you my worship. Here is my worship, Lord. Here's my praise. I worship you, Lord. I honor you, Jesus. I glorify you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We're going to go into one more worship song. I just want to encourage you to lean into it. Let the Holy Spirit come upon you as we worship Him. Let His strength come upon you. Let's just, let's just lean in just a few more moments before we dismiss. Let's all worship together. And then right after this song, I'm going to give people an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord. And then we're going to give to the Lord together. So just stay with me a few moments. But honestly, in this moment, just open your heart to Him. Sing. I really do believe that the presence of the Lord is just going to really fall right now in this moment in Jesus' name.
Lift up worship to your God right now. Come on, lift up praise to your God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. 